Hello, Cedars. I'm Doug, and I wish I could be with you face-to-face. We got a little bit of face-to-face time on Thursday with the mixer here at the church, and Donna and I enjoyed ourselves immensely. But we talked about it later, and what we thought was the best part was watching people of Cedars who hadn't been able to be around each other get together. And even though it was a socially distant mix, there was evidence of, oh, I get to see my friend again, and oh, it's been too long since we saw each other. So this is a different time, and uh, I want to take time to comment that during a time like this with COVID, where everything is being done differently, there are people who work very hard. And I want to commend the folks who are working so hard here at Cedars, making the adjustments during this time, and say, well done. This is a time of change, and as difficult as it is, it's also a time of change because there's a pastoral transition. And I'm confident that with all that's going on, that I can say things will get better. And the greatest reason for that confidence is because Jesus is still in charge. And when we're going through this, and when we're going through a time of change, all of the things that we're facing, Jesus is still in charge. Things will get better. Now, today, before we look at John chapter 3, I would like to pray and then look at an amazing conversation. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for being the God who loves us, and who cares that we love you back. We thank you for this story of a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus that gives us a glimpse at your heart. And I pray that as we walk through this story, that you will give us not only facts to observe, but a a tender glimpse at your loving heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to read from John chapter 3, starting at verse 1, this story of a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. One of the most meaningful sets of language in all of Scripture, this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus, not just a conversation, but one that is full of meaning for all things eternal. And when we look at this story in John 3, We see that this is not a Bible study. John 3 is not a Bible study. It's not a sermon, but a conversation. But it's an important conversation. Not all truth is equally important. And John 3 tenderly entrusts us with the truth of God's love. Nicodemus was part of a group that was called the Pharisees. And there was no other group in Jesus' time that experienced as much conflict with Jesus as the Pharisees. They were not happy with Jesus. And this man, Nicodemus, was a part of this group of Pharisees. He was respected. He was respected because he had so much Bible knowledge. He was respected because he was committed to keeping the law. And in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were seen as the conservative law and order side of Jewish culture. And they considered Jesus the enemy because he demonstrated the love and power of God, but he was not one of them and he did not fit in their box. He was not one of them. He was this outlier. So when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he was taking an enormous risk. They're on opposite sides. There's the Pharisee side with Nicodemus. There's the the Jesus side that doesn't fit. And when you're in this much conflict, but there's also an internal conflict going on with Nicodemus, what do you do? It was a great risk to come to Jesus. He came and he brought fear with him. He couldn't be seen talking to Jesus. But he also brought courage with him 
because he came even though he was afraid. I believe that he's showing more courage than fear. And even though he came at night because he didn't want to be seen, he came. And the confusion that he was feeling is going to lead into a conversation. John 2.25 tells us this, that Jesus did not need a man's testimony about man because he knew what was in a man. So Nicodemus didn't know this about Jesus, but Jesus already knew what was in Nicodemus. And Nicodemus didn't really know what to say. He knew the conflict that was inside of him, but something was going on. And here's a question. What if nothing was going on? Because Nicodemus doesn't really ask a question. He comes to Jesus and he calls him teacher. And later on, Jesus calls Nicodemus teacher as well. But when Nicodemus spoke to Jesus, he says, Teacher, there's something going on. You're doing things that couldn't take place unless God was with him. But what you're doing and what God is doing doesn't fit in my box and I'm confused. I don't know what to do with this. If Jesus hadn't been up to something more than just teaching you might have had someone that was recognized as a great public speaker or someone who taught the Bible really well. But Nicodemus would not have come just because he was a good public speaker. He came because he couldn't wrap his mind around something's going on around this Jesus. When he teaches, he also performs miracles. What he's doing is amazing. Nicodemus wasn't sure what to say because the miraculous things Jesus was doing did not fit into his mold. What about us? Which is a better question? Is it a better question of us for someone to come and say, can you tell me what you believe? What do people believe at Cedars? Or is it a better question if someone comes and says, what is Jesus up to at Cedars? What is the evidence that Jesus is up to something? In this conversation, Jesus was helping Nicodemus to start a relationship with him, and it was a relationship that could change his life And the language that Jesus used about this changed life was that he could be changed as much as he was at birth. Jesus brings the message that says you can trust him. When things are hard, you can trust him. When things are confusing, you can trust him. When your heart is broken, Jesus is the one who can handle a broken heart with tenderness. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, John 3.16, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Maybe my favorite verse in all of the Bible. It tells us that God loved this world, loved the people in this world, loved everything about this world so much that he gave his son. And it wasn't for a select few, it's for whoever, that whoever believes in him. And this belief is not just a set of, I believe this, 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 this. It's you believe in a person. You believe in what Jesus did on the cross. And you believe in such a way that you know you can trust him, not only with today, but with tomorrow and with eternity. And that belief and that trust is defined by eternal life. Such good news. Such a loving God. Such a generous God. A God who doesn't care anything about our economic standing. It doesn't care anything about our skin color. He doesn't care anything about the language that we speak. He just loves us. Now, Jesus didn't go into great detail about what it means to be born again. He didn't say, do this, then this, then this. And he, he, he doesn't describe a sinner's prayer. He doesn't do anything at this time. It's more of a story And we find that born-again language is story language. And in verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wants to blow. The Holy Spirit-driven wind is something that we cannot manage. I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. His name is Mike. When I first met Mike, there were some interesting things going on in his life. One of the things was that he believed that his house was cursed. And he knew that his life story up to this point was a very troubled and difficult story. When I met him, he was involved in drugs. He had had some trouble with the police, not really at being a criminal, but this was in Utah where I grew up, and Mike was growing up in Utah, but he was black. And he would be out at night, and people who didn't like the fact that he would black, was black would push his buttons, and even though he wasn't someone that was looking for fights, He had enough anger in him and a big enough temper that when people pushed his buttons, he would eventually fight. And then the police would be called and they would come and only one person would be taken to jail. And it happened over and over again. And and there's this guy who thinks, is my life worth anything? There's this guy who thinks, can life ever be fair? There's this guy who wonders what he's going to do. And on top of that, he believes that his house is cursed. At the same time, there were some people in our church that were talking to his wife about what Jesus had to offer. And she talked to Mike some. They even came a couple of times to visit the church, but nothing was really settled. Nothing was making sense. But Mike took this little bit that he'd seen and heard, and one day he went home, and with this conviction that his home was cursed, he took some cooking oil, 
And as he was talking to God, he went to each door in his house and he put the oil on the door and says, God, I'm doing this because I don't want my house to be cursed. And then that evening, as always happens, the, the friends that he met with to do drugs came to his home and they came into his house and things were not the same. And they became nervous and uncomfortable and agitated. And Mike, what has happened to your house? We can't stay here. We have to get out of here. And they rushed out of his home. Mike didn't know what he was doing, but the Holy Spirit wind can blow any way he wants to blow. And he chose to respond to Mike's simple beginnings of faith, of putting oil on the doors in a house he believed was cursed. And the curse was broken, and his buddies couldn't get out fast enough. Mike still didn't know how to wrap his mind around all that was God was doing. He was confused and, and still confusing, but he was this seeker and wondering what God was doing. It wasn't long until Mike came by the, the church one day and he says, I just have so many questions and I need to talk. And we began to have these conversations and his heart was open and wide, and he couldn't wait to invite Jesus into his heart. And he was born again, and the, and the change was as radical for him as the change when a baby comes from the mother's womb and is born, and the world is opened up to them. That's the way that Mike's spirit was opened up to the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Born-again language brings those kinds of stories with it. It's story language. And those who are born again have eternal life. You know, we read up how Jesus, in the last verse of chapter 2, how Jesus didn't need a testimony about a person because he already knows what is in them. And God knew some things about what was in Mike. So not only was he someone who had this new birth, but one day after Mike had been growing in his faith for a little while, I was in my office and I was preparing to preach. And I realized that God was pressing in on me for something that didn't make me comfortable. And I knew that I needed to stop my study for that time. And I needed to go look for Mike and talk to him about leading worship. Now, here's the problem with something like that. There was nothing about Mike that would make any of us think that Mike should lead worship. In fact, as the conversation continued, we found out that Mike didn't even sing in the shower. He didn't sing ever. And he played no instruments. But I believe that this was God pressing in, the wind blowing the way he wants, and I went looking around town for Mike. I knew he was working in town on construction, and, and I saw his truck go down the street because he was on break, and I ran it up against to where I could see him and waved him over and went to the curb. And the first thing I did 
was I said, Mike, I need to talk to you some, about something, but I have to apologize. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's going to sound crazy, but just let me say this, and then we can go on with our day. And, and he said, well, what is it? And I says, I want to talk to you about the whole idea of leading worship. Now, I'm sorry to bring this up. And he started to sob, convulsive sobs. And when he regained composure, he told me that he had been awakened the night before with a dream. He'd, he told his wife that he'd had this dream, and he says, this doesn't make any sense. I think God wants me to lead worship, but it just doesn't make sense. Well, it turns out that Mike had this beautiful voice. He got a guitar, and it was really quite good within a month. God knew what was in him when none of the rest of us did. And if you're looking for more of the story, Donna and I have three adult daughters who lead worship in their churches. But they began to to learn and develop as teenagers in our church. And the one who was leading and mentoring them was Mike. And the wind blows any way it wants to blow. And and Jesus calls us to trust him. Not because the Christian life will be ordinary, but because it'll be extraordinary. Not because there's just some pattern to fit into, but because he wants to take us on the ride of our life. Eternal life is not just a ticket. It's not about some distant future. It's not about something that will happen later. It is talking about being born again, entering a relationship with Jesus. Not only are our sins forgiven, but it is a wind-driven relationship with Jesus that doesn't stop. And this conversation with Nicodemus is Jesus in a very loving way telling, my father loves you, loved you enough to send me. And there's a spirit birth that is for you and all you have to do is believe in me. Now, there's an awkwardness to this conversation because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. There were some pieces that... Nicodemus would witness that would be filled in later. There were some pieces that are left out of this story. So this is an awkward setting to do this before Jesus died on the cross, but everything was already true. Jesus had already sent his son that whoever believes would have eternal life. Nicodemus just didn't know that he was going to die on the cross yet. He didn't know he was going to raise from the dead yet, but all of those pieces would be filled in. And I believe God wants us to be people whose hearts are open to him doing work in our lives, who are looking for divine appointments where there are conversations where we can talk about what Jesus is up to. People will have questions about what we believe, but... They're also going to know what is Jesus doing. May God 
so blow the wind of the Holy Spirit into our hearts that what he is doing is undeniable. And may he give even to us divine appointments for conversations like the one Jesus had with Nicodemus. As a closing prayer, I'd like to read a benediction from Numbers chapter 6. It reads like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May God give you peace as his face shines on you. The Lord be with you.